Now, in this era of wildly popular social media, we can hardly deny that we humans are relational creatures. Most of us are constantly in the company of others, and if not in person, at least on Facebook and LinkedIn and all of those others. But in another sense, loneliness is nevertheless our human condition. We come into the world alone. We must face our human mortality alone. And we must face our, ultimately face our death alone. This loneliness then is not about lack of human company. It's what I call our existential loneliness or spiritual aloneness. It's not a social loneliness, but being alone can make it worse and dealing with loss and grief can make it worse still. I want to speak of it this morning in the context of the worship committee's theme for this fall of belonging. For at the core of our sense of loneliness, it seems to me, is our longing for a sense of belonging in our lives to something larger than ourselves. Of course, we often flee from this longing by immersing ourselves in work, or in television and movies and other entertainment or intense activity of any kind. But in the end, I think most of us, some of the time, and some of us most of the time, become painfully aware of our ultimate aloneness. We feel as if we are alone in a desert wilderness. How then can we deal with it? How can we get past it to engage with life? To what or to whom can we belong and give our lives, to give our lives meaning? I want to suggest this morning that we give ourselves to the spirit of life in which we all are one. You may call it God, or you may leave it nameless, but it's all about nurturing a sense of connection with life itself, with the universe in which we live and with those around us, so that even when we are alone, we are not lonely, but we are comfortable with solitude. As we do so, we find that we are also nurturing a sense of identity, so that at the core of who we are, we feel a sense of purpose and even calling, a sense that we are living the life we were meant to live, and we're comfortable, as we sometimes say, in our own skin. We're centered. We're firmly rooted. We're no longer leaves blown about by the winds of life. These are deep spiritual challenges, the work of a lifetime. They invite us into a growing awareness of all that is around us and within us. They ask us to take time to turn away from our frantic doing and from our fears for our security to focus on our being. In the imagery of Henry Nouwen, our challenge is to convert that spiritual desert into a spiritual garden, rich with resources, I would even say spiritual friends, which will nurture in our hearts a sense of belonging, which I sometimes call at-homeness in the world. In an earlier time, we might have agreed that this was all about cultivating a closer relationship with God. As we did so, we could feel in our bones a blessed assurance 
of God's presence and love in our lives. We could pray and feel God leading us beside the still waters. I still love these images. As a lifelong Unitarian, I've had time to work through my issues with God language. I find comfort and strength in these ancient images. But many of us grew up with more judgmental images of God. And many of us have struggled, I am sure, to reconcile a relationship with a God of any kind, with the presence of so much evil in the world. Even with the idea of love as the reality of the natural world. Forget God. How can we even say the universe loves me? Although he had a friend who confidently believed in a God of love, the poet Tennyson wondered how he could possibly do so in the face of what he called nature's ravine or rapacity. How could anyone believe so naively that God was love indeed and love creation's final law, though nature red in tooth and claw with ravine shrieked against his creed? The struggle with these God issues can be both painful and fruitful, but for this morning, I want to set them aside. Rather than letting ourselves get sidetracked by our differences in theological language, I'd like to use plain language. I want to approach our human loneliness simply as a journey toward finding a sense of abiding at-homeness in the universe, finding our place in life. I see this journey as facing us with a threefold challenge. And I'd like to talk about these challenges one at a time. First, the challenge of nurturing a deeper connection and at homeness with the natural world. Second, of nurturing a deeper connection with each other, other people. And third, to nurture a deeper connection with that place deep within ourselves where we experience the holy. It is so easy to find ourselves immobilized by our loneliness. We may be able to do our jobs, even to carry on the conversations we need to survive, but we lock our lonely feelings up inside a shell, put on a confident face and put one foot in front of the other. Perhaps we cannot even imagine that anyone could really care or need us. That's how it can feel. A good first step is to stop and look around. Look around. To open our eyes to the beauty of the world in which we live. For truly we have been put down here in a Garden of Eden. True, we humans have done a lot of things to mess it up. But still, if we look, we can see that it is a Garden of Eden. Sometimes when I have felt lonely, I've reminded myself as I walk my dog at night to look up and see the shadows of trees in the moonlight, to see the stars over my head. If they are clouded over, like my lonely mood, I try to imagine the beauty which I know is up there above the clouds. When I walk my dog in the morning, and he needs a lot of walking, I try to imagine, well, I I look to the left and I look to the right and I look ahead to the horizon to pay attention to the trees, the grass under my feet. I'm blessed to walk each day on a path through a wooded park for a couple of miles with bridges which carry the trail back and forth across a little stream 
And when I cross, I try to look down to notice not just the water, but the beauty of the trees reflected in the water. And oddly enough, you have to adjust your eyes to move from the surface of the water to see the reflections which you see down below, but which are above your head. And I listen to to that flowing stream, and I begin to feel that I am a part of all of this. Wherever we find the natural beauty in our lives, these can be aha moments, which lift our spirits. So truly the first step in the spiritual life is to open our eyes and look around. And the second follows instinctively as we say thank you. Or as colleague Kate Braestrup puts it, we do this in three steps. We look around and then we say, wow, and then we say thank you. Appreciating this beauty is no frill. It's part of living the life we were meant to live, part of being fully human. We are, after all, uniquely creatures who can perceive beauty and even create it. But appreciating life's beauty is not all we're here for. We also have another uniquely human gift, the gift of caring. Rest for a moment in the memory of someone who has cared for you deeply, a parent or grandparent, a partner or spouse, perhaps someone who has been a mentor to you, or a teacher who helped you to find yourself. Now think a little. You may not know it. Perhaps you will never know it. But it's almost certain that you too have been important in someone else's life in the same way. Certainly, if you have brought children into the world, very likely if you have been a partner or spouse or other caregiver, the gift of caring is the second essential part of who you are as a human being. As we have been cared for, so life invites us to care for others, which is surely our greatest human gift. The inseparability of these gifts of seeing life's beauty and caring for it is apparent in these words of the poet Annie Dillard. We are here to abet creation and to witness to it. To notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Now I want to carry these challenges further. It's wonderful when we can see this beauty firsthand. Getting out into the world of nature, out and about among other people, but even when we're shut in by illness or by our loneliness itself, we can bring the beauty we have known back before our eyes. We do that by using two uniquely human gifts, two other gifts. I'm speaking first of the ancient Hebrew gift of remembering, remembering, putting back together in our minds things that we have known and which have been scattered. In this way, the beauty we have known in the past and the love we have experienced can come alive again for us. I can't think of an image which captures this gift more powerfully than a poem of Wordsworth some two centuries ago in which he speaks of wandering through the English countryside wrapped in a cloud of loneliness. When all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, 
Phyllis's favorite flower. Beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line across the margin of a bay, 10,000 I saw at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. At the time it seemed enough that the beauty which unfolded before him lifted his cloud of loneliness. And that was it. He felt revived and gave it no more thought. But long afterwards he would realize that the mere memory of this vast field of daffodils was enough to do the same again, again and once again. For oft where when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude, and then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. As it did to Wordsworth as he wandered in that cloud of loneliness, the beauty of life can come back to us again and again if we will but open our eyes to it in the world of memory. And after remembering, we also have a second gift, the gift of imagination. Using this gift, we can bring to life in our mind's eye beauty and love we have not yet known, may never know, but which we can imagine. For example, the love of our parents who gave us life and of all our ancestors. And we can imagine the joy of those who will come after us and who will be shaped indirectly by the love we give them today, though we may never know them. Often I close my eyes and wander back into the world of memory as I think of family members now long gone. Or I wander out into the future in the world of imagination to envision times long after I'll be gone. Can the joy of these memories, this imagination, not warm our lonely hearts? Wherever we may find ourselves, these gifts of remembering and imagination allow us to set aside our busyness and enter into what I think of as the third dimension of the spiritual life. They allow us to nurture our interconnection not just with the beauty of nature, the universe, not just with each other, but with that place deep within us where we come to know with certainty that we are one with all that is. In the imagery of the psalmist, it's a place where, if we will let go and be still, we may feel we are being led beside the still waters, and our souls feel restored. It does not rescue us from death, but it goes with us so that even in the valley of the very shadow of death, we feel a presence and a strength that go with us. And we know, and we know that we are no longer alone. When we are tired at heart, weak and worn, and no longer feeling the self-reliance of our youth, we may now be ready to reach for that guiding hand, the love of the universe that leads us on through the storm, through the night, to the light. Yes, take my hand, I sometimes feel ready to say. Linger near when my way grows drear. Lead me home. Yes, it's mushy imagery. Yet since I came to realize 25 years ago that there's more to me than a problem-solving legal head, 
and that I'm not always in control of my life, I've come to appreciate a little mushiness. I've come to appreciate the world of the heart. I'm no longer ashamed to be seen as a mush. I've come to love this old hymn, which years ago I scoffed at. I'm happy that it's in our hymn book, but I won't ask you to sing it this morning. Our seeing, our reaching out, our remembering, and our imagination. All these gifts come together to strengthen that place deep within ourselves where we experience a sense of connection with all that is and of belonging to something greater than ourselves. And so what I want to leave you with today is just this. Whatever words, whatever imagery may best help us in drawing on it, there is within every one of us a source of inner strength, this of connection. Call it God. Call it your rock. Or just call it the spirit of life itself. Or by no name at all. Our challenge in the good times of our lives is to nurture this connection, to let ourselves lie back in it tenderly, so that in the loneliness of the hard times we can draw on it. We do this by cultivating each day of our lives a sense of ever deeper awareness of the beauty that surrounds us. We do it by learning, even when we are shut in and perhaps shut down by our loneliness, to enjoy the beauty and depth of connections we have known in the past, using our gifts of remembering and imagination. We do it as we cultivate a daily inward dialogue with the source of life itself. By whatever name we call it, or none, we look to the source of strength within us that assures that alone or in a crowd we are one with greater with a greater love that can sustain us. No matter what we face, we may be alone, but we are alone with the alone. In a solitude that gives us peace, a peace which passes understanding. And we know that we belong. We know that we belong. <laughs>